It's taken from Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 13. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Father, I ask now that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to your word, to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. I pray that people would this morning be rescued from their sins and turn to Jesus and receive salvation and justification and newness and rest and peace and joy and abundant life. Lord, we need you to do it through your word. And I ask that you would help me to serve well, to speak clearly and plainly so that you and your truth and your word are made plain to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the big idea for us this morning is actually stated very clearly in the verse preceding what Marty read for us. If you have your Bibles open, she read Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 13. And at the end of the last time we were in Romans, we covered Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Romans chapter 10, verse 4 is the big idea of everything we're going to look at in this passage today. So look at that in your Bibles with me. I'll read that one verse. Romans 10, 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, the last time we were in Romans, it wasn't last week, it was the week before, we covered that passage and we talked about how the Jewish people that Paul was writing to had missed it. They missed Jesus. Even though they had the Old Testament and all the laws and all the traditions and and all of that going for them, they still missed the big idea. This is important for us because if they can miss it, we can miss it. We're in danger in this church right now of missing it all if we misunderstand Jesus. So just do a quick mind scrub right now. I know some of us are tempted when we start to hear about Jesus again to glaze over. I know it's true. Just sort of scrub your mind of of everything that causes your eyes to glaze over as we talk about Jesus. Because this is vitally important. 
that we give our attention to this this morning. We don't want to miss it. And just because you're here doesn't mean that you haven't missed it. So, Israel, the Hebrews, the Jewish people who rejected Jesus, they were zealous for God, but it was an ignorant zeal. Remember talking about that two weeks ago, those who were here? It was an ignorant zeal that caused them to attempt a do-it-yourself righteousness. It caused them to attempt to build their own holiness through obeying the law. It caused them to try to be really good people, really obedient people, really devout people by the law. And to miss that God was trying to give them holiness and righteousness as a gift in Jesus Christ. Now, our do-it-yourself righteousness compared to God's righteousness, there's a stark difference between the two. Like, we can compare ourselves to each other and come out looking okay because we're a bunch of screwed up people. So you can look to the person to your right or to your left in your pew and think, I'm doing pretty good compared to that individual. And you might be right, depending on who's on your right and your left. I see spouses looking at each other. But once we compare our holiness, our righteousness to God, the Holy One, the Righteous One, we're going to fall to our knees and confess He is Lord and I am unclean, just like Isaiah did and Simon Peter that we talked about the last time. The difference is the same as... I debated whether to use this illustration, but I've already launched into it. The difference is the same as... You men probably know better what I'm talking about than the women... When you finally break down and buy new white undershirts and you see them in your drawer beside your old white undershirts and the contrast is unbelievable and you can't believe that you ever even thought that that color was white. (laughs) Am I the only one that waits that long before I buy a new undershirt? Okay. Maybe that wasn't the best illustration, but you get the idea. So... If our law, which I know we don't think in terms of law like, like they did, but we think in the same idea, though. We think about the rules, the do's, and the don'ts, and the traditions. You know, you go to church. You don't openly blaspheme God. Blaspheme God you don't steal things. You don't run people down with your car. You obey the rules. If, if that's the extent of our righteousness trying to be good folks, trying to go to church, be involved, give a little when we can, if that's the extent of our righteousness, it's just enough to damn us. We need the gift of righteousness that God is offering to us in Jesus Christ. We need it desperately. So what we have here in verses 5 through 13 is Paul making his case using the Old Testament. Because remember, he's writing to these Christians in Rome that included a lot of Jewish believers. So they knew their Old Testament. So what we have in these verses is Paul making his case for everything I just said to you uh, using texts and ideas from the Old Testament. So the way we're going to approach it is we're just simply going to walk through the passage. I like to come with like snappy points, like three points, and they all start with a P or something so it's memorable. This passage doesn't lend itself to that. We really need to just walk side by side through these verses and take it in. Uh, Because it's a little complicated, but we can handle it, right? That fills me with confidence that you guys are. (laughs) Let's start with verse 5. 
For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So he's bringing an idea from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. And he's pointing out, to sum it up simply, doers of the commandments can live based on their own righteousness. If you do all the commandments flawlessly, then you're good. You don't need Jesus. But only doers of the commandments will live by them. Not hearers of the commandments, not people who are aware of the commandments, not just people who believe the commandments are important, not people who attempt to obey the commandments but often fall short, not people who memorize the commandments, study the commandments, not people who feel really warmly about the commandments, but doers of the commandments only will live and be counted righteous by the commandments. It's not the thought that counts when it comes to law. Years ago, my first Thanksgiving when I had my driver's license, about 8 a.m. Thanksgiving morning, I was trying to get from my house in New Salem area, North Carolina, into Matthews so I could play flag football. This was very important to me. So important that since I was running late, I chose to drive about 65 miles per hour in a 45 mile per hour zone down Lawyers Road, where it really should probably be about 55 because it's just straight. (laughs) But so I round a bend going 20 miles per hour over what I was supposed to have been doing. And at the other end of the straightaway rounds, a state trooper. So I slam on the brakes down. You know, it's probably not the smartest thing to do. I try to get back down to speed. We pass each other. I see him looking at me as I pass. I'm trying 10 and 2 to look straight ahead. And I see my rearview mirror. He pulls into a driveway and backs out and comes after me. And no, I didn't run from him or anything. I was driving a Ford Taurus. I wouldn't gotten very far. So the lights come on. He pulls me over. And he comes to my window. And he gives me a ticket. Now, would it have mattered if I said... All right, I know I didn't exactly obey the speed limit, but I understand it's really important. You know, I was trying to, but I had to get to this football game. Would that have mattered? No, because it's not the thought that counts when it comes to law. And what we often forget, what God has told us to do and not to do isn't uh, the 10 suggestions or the 10 pretty, pretty please, I really want you to try to do this is... It's the Ten Commandments, and it's law. And in a court of law, only full obedience will pass. A good judge doesn't let off a criminal because he meant well. Only innocence gets you off. So, some of you are thinking, well, I'm pretty much innocent. Last time I checked, I haven't murdered anybody. Well, let's do a little test. Let's do a little test to see how well we have done with the commandments. First off, is anybody confident enough that they could even say the Ten Commandments? And I will bring you up here if you think that you are. 
Maybe a few of you are, but you don't want to come up here and say it. And I can understand that. But most of us probably actually don't even remember what all 10 of them are. And that's just the 10 that kind of clarify the hundreds of commandments that you find in the Old Testament. So since we maybe can't even remember all 10, let's just take the first one. Do you remember what the first one is? I'll tell you what it is. Don't have any other gods before me. Okay, question number one on the exam. Do you now or have you ever worshipped something or someone above the one true God? With your time, your passion, your energy, your resources. Yeah. First question on the exam, we've already failed. In some ways, I'm probably failing right now as I preach. What I'm trying to prove to you is what Paul said plainly in Romans 3 when he said in verse 10 and following, As it is, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are in their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then on down he just sums it up. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, what the law does for us, the hundreds of commandments in the Old Testament, the ten that kind of sums those up, the two that Jesus summed it up even more concisely to, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. What those do is they get us to our need for Jesus. They reveal to us that we need help. The laws in the Bible, it's not a ladder to climb to get to heaven. It's the diagnosis that gets you in the operating room so that God can save your life through Jesus Christ. So verse 4 in chapter 10, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That's true because Jesus was the only one who did do all the commandments. Did you know that Jesus actually claimed to be sinless? Regardless of what people think about him, they think he's a good teacher, but maybe not the one true God with us. But he claimed to be sinless. And he said that, and his brothers were there. How many of you have dirt on your siblings? You don't make a claim like that with your brother standing there unless it's true. He's the only one who did all the commandments, and therefore he is the only hope for the rest of us who have failed to do the commandments. But now for the good news. There is good news. And we see it in verses 6 through 8. Let's read that. Romans 10, 6 through 8 says, But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, Or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? 
The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now, major honesty moment here from a pastor to his flock and guests. I was going to preach this passage last week. And suddenly I had to divert to that passage in Hebrews that we talked about, which is a much more straightforward passage of Scripture about loving each other. And the reason why is these three verses. By last Sunday, I hadn't figured these three verses out yet. And I'll tell you why. Okay, follow along with my train of thought. It'll be worth it. He is referring to a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And this passage in Deuteronomy seems to contradict everything Paul's been saying and everything I've been saying in this sermon. So I'm going to read that passage to you and then we'll figure out what it actually means together because it's really pretty beautiful. Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting at verse 11. This is where Paul is drawing what he's saying in Romans 10 from. Moses writes, For this commandment, he just got done summing up basically all the law. That's what he's talking about when he says, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us to bring it down to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea, that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so that you can do it. So here's Paul saying, The law is too hard for you. You need Jesus. And here's Moses saying, the law is not too hard for you. And here's Paul quoting Moses from the very chapter where it seems to contradict everything he's been, the whole case he's been building. Can you see how I had trouble reconciling this? I did have trouble reconciling this. And then several nights ago, several mornings ago, at around 3.30 a.m., I woke up. As sometimes you do, have you ever woken up when you've had something on your mind and you wake up more alert than usual at an odd hour, like 3 a.m. or 3.30 a.m., and you just feel overly alert and you're thinking about this thing? That's what happened to me. I was thinking about this, trying to figure this out. And I woke up 3.30 a.m. and I got up and I was thinking about it and it just sort of became clear to me. God didn't speak to me audibly or anything. It just became clear to me that I need to make sure I understand what Moses meant by the word hard when he says, this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. So I did a little research, and the word he uses for hard isn't what I thought he meant at first. I thought he meant difficult or arduous a requiring skill and technique. I thought that's what he was saying. I thought he was saying, this commandment's not that tough, not that difficult. It's easy. But that's not what he was saying. In the original language, that word has a whole different connotation than difficulty. It has the connotation of wondrous and exceedingly extraordinary and sort of out of, out of grasp, far away. So not hard because you lack the skill and technique, but hard because it's just out there. It's too 
lofty. Moses was saying the law isn't too lofty. God came and just handed it to you. He gave it to you gift-wrapped on stone tablets. Moses didn't have to build a rocket ship and soar into the heavens to bring down the law. God bent down and gave it to him. Moses didn't have to sail over the seas to, to foreign people to research and find the law. God came and handed it to him. And this is the point of comparison. This is where this is like Jesus. And I want this to fully sink in because it's really, really beautiful. Just like the law, God is handing Jesus to you, to us. You don't have to build a rocket ship and soar into the heavens to go find Jesus. God has given them to us as a gift. He's he's near you now, right now where you sit. You don't have to dig to the depths to find Jesus. He's here near you. God has given them to you. So our only hope is Jesus, and the really good news is he is accessible. God has made the door available right there. This means that salvation is near to you. This means that forgiveness is near to you. Some of you, I'll wager, are walking around with a crushing burden of guilt and regret and shame about something you've done or even defilement, even related to something done to you. And you think, oh, maybe one day I'll achieve freedom from this. Well, today could be the day. It's right beside you. It's right inside you. It's Jesus, and he's right there. Some of you have people that you are just so concerned about, family members, friends, enemies, and you cannot imagine them finding their way to Jesus. You think there's no way. But there is a way. He's right there. He's so close. He's so near. God has given him to us. We're so close to him. He's so near to us. Our acceptance with God is so near to us. Our adoption as sons through Jesus is so near to us. Rest is so near to us. I have a friend who was struggling with all manner of stress and trying to figure things out, as many of us do. Anybody have, anybody have stress in your life? Why well, you guys are, just got back from vacation or something. Most of us have stress in our lives. And this friend, it was just a particularly difficult couple of days. The burden was heavy. And she turned to this sort of wise old lady, Christian woman, And the advice that she gave was just so good and so uh, relieving and inspiring and yet so simple. The advice was simply, talk to Jesus about it. Just as plainly as you're talking to me, just talk to Jesus about it. He knows. He knows what's going on. He's not off in some lofty cloud, you know, light years away. He's near you. He's in your mouth. He's in your heart. Rest is near us. 
cleansing and, and purification through Jesus' blood is near us. I read a story recently. It's called Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. It looks like a romance novel, but it's not. It's really good. You should read it. It's a beautiful depiction of the gospel through a, a retelling of the story of Hosea. Um, but in that story, the main character, God tells him to go marry a prostitute named Angel. And so he does. And eventually, while he's trying to love her like Christ loved the church, she's coming to grips with how filthy she is from her whole life of prostitution. And at one point, she's out in the river. This takes place like back in the early 1900s, trying to wash herself with like gravel rocks until she's bleeding. She's trying to find cleanness. When she didn't realize it was already hers. I wonder if some of you are like that. It's near to you. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. So there's only two things that you need to do if you want to turn to Jesus, who is so near to you. Confess and believe. I want to take all the mystery out of it. Confess and believe. That's what Paul writes in verses 8 through 10. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Confessing with the mouth that Jesus is Lord. It's more than like saying uncle. That's not just a Broadway thing, is it? When I was younger, my brother would wrestle me down to the ground until I said, say uncle. Was that just a Broadway thing? I thought that was a universal thing. That's not what this is. God's not trying to wrestle you down through your you know, struggles until you just say, okay, you're the Lord. That's not what this is. This is public, open, verbal acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord. It's recognizing the, the fact of reality. To confess means to say with It's saying along with God and all of reality that Jesus is Lord. Not saying Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is Lord, period. Whether I'm going to acknowledge it or not, he is Lord. So I want to ask you, do you confess that Jesus is Lord? Would your coworkers agree that you confess that Jesus is Lord? Would your children agree that you confess that Jesus is Lord? You young people, would your parents agree that you confess that Jesus is Lord? Step one, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Step two, believe in your heart in the resurrection. That seems kind of specific, doesn't it? Not just believe in your heart, Jesus is who he says he is, but believe in your heart that he was risen from the dead. It seems fairly specific. But I think the reason why is in that resurrection is everything. I mean, that proved that he was who he said he was. God's son, the one way, the one truth, the one life, the one way to the Father. In that resurrection, that was the beginning of Satan's defeat and the beginning of our hope. This isn't Santa Claus belief. 
Close your ears, you people who still believe. This isn't Santa Claus belief or blowing out your birthday candles belief. If I just believe it hard enough, maybe it'll be true. Maybe it'll come true. If I just believe, if I stir up belief, maybe it'll become true. That's not what this is. This is an entrusting sort of belief. It's very far from Santa Claus belief. It's a lot closer to um, church pew belief. And I've used this a lot, but I didn't see any of you inspecting the, the structure of those church pews when you sat down when you came in here. I didn't see anybody on your hands and knees looking up underneath to make sure all the screws were tight. Yet you entrusted your full weight onto those church pews. That's more the belief that this is talking about. It's entrusting your full weight onto Jesus Christ. Not a hopeful, wishful thinking, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's true. I, I hope. I'll believe as hard as I can today. It's a just letting all your weight rest on Jesus Christ being who he said he was, as proven by the resurrection. So let me ask you, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Or do you think it was a historical hoax or a fiction that became myth, that became history? You need to wrestle with it. Because if you believe it, it changes everything. That's what it means to believe with your heart. That's the innermost core of your being, your identity. Do you believe what your coworkers think that you believed in the resurrection? Would your children think that you believed in the resurrection? Do young people, would your parents think that you believed in the resurrection? Because if you do confess and believe, you will be saved. You stand in that courtroom where I told you, you know, it's, it's a matter of law, not, it's not the thought that counts, it's obedience to the law. Confession and belief here will get you off from God's wrath. Because in that moment, Jesus' righteousness is conveyed to you. And so you're justified, which means to be actually made innocent. You actually are transformed into an innocent person because Jesus took on all of your sin, all of your curse. And confession and belief, that's what turns the doorknob and opens the door to walk through to that salvation. So I want to conclude the way Paul concludes with his final couple of verses here, starting in verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 4 is true. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Therefore, verse 11 is true. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. The righteousness is based on the law or what you do or your church attendance or morality leads to shame. It leads to hiding. It leads to um, acting. Righteous, so people don't really find out who you really are. It leads to regret and remorse. Shame. And some of us need to 
investigate whether our church involvement is just a fancy fig leaf to try to cover up who we really are. But righteousness based on faith in Jesus leads to the opposite of shame. It leads to security. It leads to openness. It leads to living and being and loving. Furthermore, because verse 4 is true, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Verses 12 and 13 are true. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, we're all a bunch of poor people that God is bestowing his riches upon through Jesus, if we'll accept it. So we're all the same. We're all in the same boat together. United. Because Jesus did do the commands. Jesus was given to us from God as a gift. Jesus is near to us. Jesus is Lord. Jesus did rise from the dead. Jesus saves and justifies. Jesus secures and unifies. Let's pray. Father, please now, as we sing this closing song, search our hearts. Reveal to us what's true about us in here. May we all confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that he was risen from the dead and receive from you salvation and justification. Lord, your Holy Spirit knows what needs to happen in our hearts. And every individual in here, please, please make it happen. In Jesus' name, amen.